Hello everyone, I am Mohammed Jibran Nasir, the overrated, overglorified human rights activist, and I'm here with the 10th episode of How to Pakistan with Fasi Zaka and Musharraf Zedi. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for that welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys made time for me. <laughs> He's, uh, so anyhow, I've, uh, we've been discussing this for a long time. We've wanted to do the program with Gibran for quite some time, and we're glad that you're here. You know, once when I saw him at a protest as well, it's like he's Batman. Like, doesn't smile. He knows what Zain Malik's pillow talk is. Yeah. So, it's a war zone and it's paradise. It's, uh, so, so he knows. I mean, is he writing? Is that song, like when I, when I heard that song, I thought that Zain was singing about Islamabad. Actually, you know, I'm just pretending I know the reference because I haven't heard that song. Wait, so wait a second. Yeah. One Direction broke up. No, Zan it's not Malik. broken up. He's just gone solo. That's a breakup. The, the rest he, you is You know, like there. when somebody leaves another person, it's called a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> Zen Malik left. Maybe in a polyamorous situation where there are four or five, when one leaves, it's called attrition. <laughs> <laughs> I, love that, I love that the word polyamorous was... It wasn't like he struggled for that word. Jibran, are you noticing this, man? It wasn't like... I, no, no, he didn't. He didn't I but see, I think um, in a group of five, he clearly realized that he was the more talented one. Mm. And he was being held back. Huh. So, yeah, he formed his own Pakistani, party. Pakistani brothers, man. Huh. Always more talented than everybody else. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Anyhow, I, I don't think I've heard One Direction it's, properly. Uh, so I, I like, I mean, I don't mind One Direction. I mm. mean, they're no Backstreet Boys, but they're mm. they're reasonably talented. But Zen was by far the most talented one in the group. Especially and now with he's the got high his notes. Own, especially with the high notes. Exactly. Yeah. But now he's got his own, his own thing going. And yeah. I was quite shocked by the language that he's used in that song. And I was saying to my wife, you know, growing up, like, you know, there was some things we were allowed to hear and some things we weren't. But Zen Malik, Miley Cyrus, uh, you oh, know, by the way, it's Selena. Zane. It's it's Zane with the Y. It's not Dad. They see of a name anymore. Zane he's dropped, Malak. He's, Malak. No, he's dropped, he's dropped the Malik as well. It's just Zane. Uh, and and the hair have gone blonde or white. So, uh, yeah. Hey, hey, don't hate, man. Kid's talented. He's mad. I, I talented. agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I just uh, at times have an issue with I think how people package themselves. But then again, that's his discretion. I'm no so speaking of how people package themselves. Speaking of how people package themselves. Javan Nasser, you 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 introduce yourself as an overrated. Did you say overrated human rights Over, activist? Overrated, overglorified. Overglorified. So I, I don't know about the glorification part. I know that there are some very, very big young ladies who are fans of yours. No, let me get that. <laughs> let, me, let me rephrase. Re rephrase that. Let me, let me rephrase that. There are some very, very big fans of yours who happen to be young ladies. All right. So I can understand why overglorified. Like, I, I, I get the ego and the swag, and it's beautiful. I love it. You know <laughs> I, I love it. No, it's like, can, can I tell you? Uh, One Direction and Hollywood has Zan Malik. Yeah. Pakistani civil society has Gibran yeah. Nasser. Has Gibran Nasser. Is that, is that, is that a fair? the best Pakistan could come up with? I was, yeah. I was expecting better from a country of 200 million. I, I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we had Hussain Akhani on last week. And I, I think he, he, he'd say we've done quite well. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to ask you a question, right? Just let's get into it directly. Now, one of the things that I found very interesting is you've done some work that, like, I'm a huge admirer of. And... But at the same time, I've seen people who are, uh, I deeply respect. They've taken pot shots at you. Yeah. 
and a lot of people who've you know been through the Zia era who've gotten court you know who've gone to jail were you about to say who've gotten kode yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful i love it go ahead and say it man it's yeah. our podcast i know i know zero editing i've gotten kode <laughs> so so i not, asked not gotten kode yeah kode yeah. yeah because there's a there's gore have gore gotten gore some gore gore <laughs> after getting the kore no no gore is afterwards when we <laughs> join the ngos that's not uh, right uh, that's not right then, but anyhow so the point being i asked a couple of them and they were very kind enough to speak to me like on the off the record and they were and you know and universally there's a thread amongst them is that they somehow see you as a plant mm-hmm. as an establishment plant and that mm-hmm. you are taking on issues that are you know sort of in a silo but not really the big ones now uh those people i respect and in in some ways i realized what they were saying to me is that you're the iftikhar choudhury of activism oh god uh, right no, right no, no, no. hold on now, a second no no i'm going to defend him no no <laughs> before you defend him, you understand like you know what i'm talking about i it's all they really don't people. get the iftikhar choudhury reference yeah, yeah, i'd like to elaborate on that oh it's just that everyone falls in love with someone they feel that this person is standing up for the country but ultimately doesn't whoa, or is compromised whoa. later on it's like the gloves came off before he got here yeah <laughs> no, no, i i was very curious about this this is something i've discussed with you uh, and i I've, i've wanted to ask you is like why do you think that a certain section of the old guard who also have great contributions are not entirely welcoming uh first of all it had saddened me as well when people who i thought could be my teachers could be people i could converse with and learn from without ever conversing with me having ever had a single conversation with me in person or on online started writing about me and did not even have the grace of addressing me by my name when saying that a certain activist is making a living out of certain issues so yes it saddened me as well and i thought it was a fall from grace but uh, then again i do not mind this cynicism because i believe uh, once bitten twice shy kind of a thing takes place in pakistan over and over again as regards whether <coughs> uh, an analogy with uh, iftikhar choudhury or anybody else is fair or that's not that's my analogy that's, that's, that's your analogy it, it, it was my that's summation my See, this is yeah. one one thing i have always maintained and i don't control which part of my statement goes viral and which does not is that stop supporting the man and start supporting the cause because you know it and i know it uh, i mean i i'm i'm not i'm far from being perfect in many various ways tomorrow if a scandal about me opens up i don't want people to step away from the cause just because jibran nasir got controversial i may be the spokesperson for the campaign right now but that does not mean that i am the campaign and for that very purpose i keep on trying to find more talking heads now of course the issue we should trying to head in because i mean i've op- spoken about on television as well is that why don't i go and protest outside the ghq why don't i call hmm. out rahil sharif why don't i call hmm. out rizwan akhtar well the first thing is i like to believe i'm living in a democracy and i like to address nawaz sharif and chaudhry nisar and when i address them i give them the respect that you are the ones who are supposed to be commanding the country not the people in uniform and i go after them hoping that if it's the case that ghq is running the show then let nisar come out and say you know what boy things are out of my hand let him say in the press <laughs> let him say that i can't arrest abdul aziz let nawaz sharif say that because the boys don't want me to do so and then we'll take the battle with ghq that it is but why should i take away and concede that the military is still running the show if this is a democracy then work on strengthening your institutions and start having accountability from them as regards talking about military and their issues is concerned i believe 
I have actually almost always chosen the hard ground to go and talk about these issues. I was previously just last, this week uh, speaking at NAST, military-backed institutions. And the kids are very afraid because my entire 20-minute speech was about how living in this jungle, you cannot say anything against the lion because you're afraid that he's going to come and eat you up and the lion being the army here. So, I mean, I... Even, even, when, we, even when we put yeah. them down, we, yeah. we raise them up. Yeah. Like, the so, like, so, like, so, lion. Yeah, exactly. No, but is it Mufasa or is it the other one? The scar, scar. That's an analogy I'm using. And, and, and like I said, I, I have never jumped onto the Shukriya Rahil Sharif bandwagon. I find it preposterous and ridiculous. And if, if this any of your friends who are you... Uh, so fond of listen to this show. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. if this is one way of my... You're the channel. I'm not going to kill the messenger, don't worry. Um, is this is that I'm not going to be jumping on that bandwagon because I think the way he's been conducting affairs is deliberately orchestrated in a way that after he retires, people are going to remember his era because he's not going to put things in place which make things... Uh, improve as time passes because no ideological change is coming in, no policy shift is coming in. What he's trying to do with this military operation and just a selective military operation is that Rahil Sharif is trying to sit on a pressure cooker and he's sitting it with all his weight. But once he retires, the other general coming in, would he be able to put up enough weight? What you need to do is you need to take the pressure cooker off the stove first and then try and address it. No education reform is coming in. No narrative change is coming hold on. in. Okay, so yeah. I work on, as you know, I uh, work on education uh, full time. He's speaking about probably content. I'm talking about the content, yeah. not about literacy. Hey, listen, yeah. hold uh. on, hold on. What we just did in less than I don't know how long we've been on. We have Neil Kubin. By the way, listeners will be. I hope we'll be hearing something different in terms of the quality of sound. Because we're trying to speak like Dr. Love. <laughs> yeah, well, <Yeah. laughs> some of us are. Yeah. How, uh, how many, I, I think, I think there's a number of problems with a number of things that you've said. Yeah. You didn't get onto the thank you Rahil Sharif bandwagon. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm definitely not at the front of that bandwagon, but I, I don't really see the biggest problem with that bandwagon. Rahil Sharif's job is not education reform. I mean, if Rahil Sharif starts doing education reform, I hope you'll be leading a protest because I'll be there. Uh, because Rahil Sharif's job is to run the military. Mm -hmm. The job for education reform actually is not even the prime minister's. There's some things that the prime minister can and should do. And, and uh, as a campaign, you know, I, I've, I've worked on trying to get him to do that. And to some extent, you know, it looks like they're more keen to do it at the prime minister. Prime Minister's office today than they have been in the past three years. But education is a provincial subject. The job of reforming education belongs to chief ministers, their education ministers, the education secretaries. The, you know, the, it's a big country and we have a lot of problems. And I think that if we start piling on every expectation onto the military, that is a formula for, I'll stop there. No, no, no. I'm see now you're agreeing with exactly what I was saying before. I was only saying that no education and ideological reforms are coming in. If I go with the assumption which Fassi was bringing forward that the military runs the country, but if we can see this is democracy and education is in fact a provincial subject, just like matters of internal security are matters with the interior minister, then I should only be questioning and protesting with Chaudhary Nisar, just like you should only be taking that issue 
with the provincial minister. But if tomorrow someone comes and say, oh, you know, the army really doesn't want the narrative to change in our books. It doesn't want non-Muslims to be glorified as war heroes, which they were, by the way, from all segments of society, people participated in 65 and 71, regardless of who lost and who won the war. And that our history has been changed, that Aurangzeb is a hero, Bin Qasim and Mahmoud Ghaznavi is a hero, all warring generals uh, of the Muslim world, but not people like um, Bulle Shah or such a Sarmas or Shah Bithai or Ghani Khan is not taught, taught that much in our books. And if you say, oh, that's a provincial subject, let's only talk about the province, then, then some people may come forward and say, you know, that's a military mindset, that they want you to do that. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, at the stage that you're at, I would, I would expect, and I think this is the part of the conversation for me that's more, more interesting. What is the stage that you're at? I, I mean, I, I can tell you the stage that I'm at, I, I, a lot of things are said about a lot of people. Huh. And uh, you're not going to control, uh, and you shouldn't have any control over what people think. I think it's important for people to, if you're going to be in the public domain and you're going to put yourself out there, part of the deal is that you're there to be judged by a whole range of people. Some people won't like your face, Gibran, and it's okay they don't. that they don't. No, <laughs> but, 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 but I have to say, it, it's okay that they don't like your face. Some people are going to think that, you know, I'm. Uh, I actually have a problem with his face. Because, look, look at his achievements at his age. I think it's just too unfair that he's handsome on top of everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, it pisses me off. Basically, <laughs> he's just yeah. set fire to half of civil society. See, I, like I said, completely own the fact that I myself volunteered to be a public figure. I contested elections. I stood out in protest. I write articles and I do all of that. The only thing I have a problem with is I don't have complaints with the with the common man out there on the streets who may just read about a headline or hear about a little excerpt of my interview and then comment on it. I'm talking about those people who write features and articles in papers. And I believe this is somewhat of an intellectual dishonesty that you're taking the liberty to write articles and features about someone's personality and how they think without ever having conversed with them. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I've written a lot of blogs and articles. I've written on Blaul Bhutto, I've written on Zardari, Nawashif, and Imran Khan, but I've never really doubted their integrity or their sincerity towards the country. I've never called anybody an agent. I've never questioned anybody's religion. I've never said if anybody's funded or not. All I've ever questioned is someone's policy and why is they not saying. This thing which Pakistan has is just like the right wing, the clergy, the first mode of attack they have against you is, oh, is, uh, you know, what's his sect and what's his religion? And is he an atheist? Is he a godless man? Or is he funded by the US dollar? And similarly, the left wing here would come and say, oh, is he a military man? Is he an ISI or a military brat? What is his uh, allegiance with, with the intelligence agencies of Pakistan? So we are hell-bent on both ends in doubting one's integrity. If you have a problem with me, I'm a very approachable person. My phone number is on my Facebook, so is my email address write to me and if you think I'm wrong, try and guide me. And if I don't listen to you, then you're more than welcome to complain, but at least reach out to me. Yeah. Okay, can I, can, I mean... I just want I to add one thing to this. I, I, I do, I think you've provided a very good explanation of at least where you are and, and in particular to this one particular doubt. And I think that's a intellectually, you know, closed circle logic. It's there, it explains it. But I do think uh, just one thing is that in terms of op-eds, Generally, you know, opinion isn't held to the same standard where you have to speak to that person. You can, I do agree that you don't impugn somebody's character, but uh, generally this is one thing about op-eds that there's a bit more leeway. Ah. Whether we like it or not, we, we have to differentiate that from, say, regular reporting. Yes, you were saying. 
it's, it's, it's interesting, right? You said you're very approachable. I think when we first met, you were 26. Mm, it's been some time, yes. It's been some... I think the, the, the first time we conversed was when I was on television and I was interviewing you for my show for Dawn News. And Emily was there from ISAPS and we were having a yeah, discussion yeah, yeah, on education. Right. We met for the first time outside the Red Mosque right. protest. You're under 30 still. I'm, I just turned 29 last week. Fantastic. Uh, what a... What a I do, I, I also hate his face. I also hate his face. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, Gibran. I think being as young as you are and some of the people Fussy's talking about, I don't know, Fussy, if you're comfortable with it, but I'm happy to even take names because they're friends of ours. And I think that we, you know, I think it's a podcast and it's ours. I mean, it goes back to the... No, I agree. But I, the ones I, I've spoken to, I spoke on the... Off the record. Off the record. Okay, yeah. I understand. I mean... I don't think it's a big secret. Yes. Uh, you know, so, some of them are well known and, and, and they're, they're very dear to me as well. Here's what I would ask you in a private conversation. And since you've agreed to do this with us, you know, mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test the space. And by the way, you're, it's completely legit for you to say, you know what, you don't want to answer that. I would even be willing to afford you the, the courtesy of uh, cutting stuff out if, if it's really uncomfortable. Okay. I know it won't be. In I, Pakistan, I know we don't plead the fifth. We yeah. don't no, have. It's, 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 it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine if we do. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's just basic courtesy. Here's the question. Let's say you're 25, 26, 27, whatever you are, and there's some people who are in, maybe in their 40s, maybe in their 50s, uh, they've been doing this essentially for twice as long as you have, maybe longer than you've been alive in some cases. They have some preconceived notions about how it's possible for someone to come out of nowhere. And, you know, we've seen young people come out of nowhere in the digital age. Alamgir, we yes. just discussed. Well, yes. Samad Khurram, who, Samad, you know, who's on, out, of the public, yeah. out of the public eye, but Samad was... I mean, he was a universe. I think he was 19 or 20. He was yep. 19, I mean, he 20. was a child. And he was directing the whole spectrum of the student protest. The information clearinghouse was this one kid. I, I, I kid you not, the lawyers' movement know, owes, owes a lot to Etazaz Essen. It owes a lot to Atar Minallah. It owes a lot to a lot of people. But as well as Samad. But Samad is right up there in the top 10 names Absolutely. in terms of credit Absolutely. for the way that lawyers' movement was able to just catch fire. And at the time, I think he was 21 at best. Uh, uh, 21, maximum, 22, maximum, maximum right? Yeah. He's a child. The thing about the digital age is that the tools that are at our disposal and the way in which bright young people suddenly have this massive platform if they want to and if they're lucky and if they catch the wave, it, it, it's a different thing. And I think for a lot of 50-year-olds and 55-year-olds and maybe even 40, I mean, I'm 40, and you know, I sometimes feel myself alienated from millennials, right? Like, I don't understand how to relate to them, how to talk to them. I don't understand the attitude. Not in a negative or positive way. It's just there is a generational gap. Mm. Wouldn't it have been nice? This is really maybe not even a question for you. It's a comment. Wouldn't it have been nice if, as you saw that you were gaining momentum as a public figure, you sought out the advice of these senior members of civil society who I think quite wrongly, have characterized you in whatever way they have. I, I think it's wrong, and I've said it to them. I've said, what's your problem? I've had this conversation specifically with, the, with some of those people directly. I've said, what is your problem? Because I've interacted with the kid. I mean, to me, kid's pure gold. I'm not saying this to your face. I, I, I mean, I, I don't need to, right? Um, my actions, I think, would, you know, are, yeah. are louder than you know, anything I would say. But I, I guess since I asked them what, what their problem is, I'll ask you, what, 
why should they seek out your phone number and your email address? You're 27, you're 28, they're 50. Go and find them. They're also very easy to find. Yep. But <coughs> why haven't you sought their advice? Because first, the first thing I want to know is actually someone is interested in helping. Uh, today is the first time me and Fasi are meeting in person. Uh, we saw each other from a distance at the protests. And as Fasi would tell you, uh, I think it was two or three months ago, I had made a tweet and Fasi had an objection to it. And he commented and I explained myself and I took his point and I said, you know what, in the larger picture, if I really calm down and take a step back, you are right there. Uh, you may remember you were yourself counseling me a lot during the days of the protest, telling me that you need to stay here and build momentum and do those things. Pervez Woodboy was another person there. Uh, there was also, in, uh, later in the days, uh, Mari Sinmat also joined in, other people joined in. Whosoever was coming in and wanted to show, showed any kind of little interest, I was all ears and I was all willing to listen. And the thing people need to understand is that even if there has been a falling out or some people after met people are not that happy, they need to understand that, yes, I would admit, we are young, and I speak as a generation. Um, and this is something I wrote for Dawn, which is going to be published tomorrow in relation to Alamgir. We are young, we are idealistic, we are hot-headed. Headed, uh, but that's where the passion and the zeal comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you, you can't expect to completely maneuver me in a different way, and then also expect me to go out there and take the kind of risks we do and, kind of, and you know, stand up for arrest and whatnot in, in, in the digital age of what so it be. And I am willing to be, I'm willing to have a discussion with anyone and sort out as many people as I do and interact with. And uh, like I said, if, if I've been hurt by anyone or if I don't wish to speak to anyone at the moment, are those people who I saw, and it's really, I mean, people think that just because they're not naming someone won't figure out who they're talking about. No one's that naive. And I read upon people and I know what way they're thinking. And at times, if someone is commenting on my work and showing any kind of interest, I would follow them on Facebook. I even request a DM. I would also write to them and try to build that repo. But at least I need to know if those persons are interested because just like that, one could say that I am an agent or someone like that, or I may have different leanings or political affiliations. I do not know about the other person. Who am I seeking counsel, what their background is? And the little I know, I can only count on that, but I'm not gonna judge them. I'm not gonna go in public about them. But if I show them showing a little bit of interest, I'll strike a conversation, I'll speak with them, and I will uh, seek advice with them. And whenever they'll advise me, I will listen to it as well. Yes, what people at times may complain about is, if you're going to try, and this is going to be a problem you're going to be facing with, with uh, people my age, if you're going to be thinking that just because you're old and experienced, your view is the correct view and you can impose it on us, that is also not going to happen. When my generation or people even younger than me are going to sit on the table, it's going to be a brainstorming discussion. We're going to learn from your experience, but we're also going to bring in the ideas of the new age. And we're going to wait it out what works best. Because, and, and, that's some, and, and that's a respect or a mutual respect both parties need to show each other. It's not just because you're older and you've done these things, you've been beaten up by then whatever you do is makes complete sense. Because if it was, then things would have been changing because of that direction. And if it's not, then it means some new ideology needs to come in. But yes, how to walk the ropes, I'm happy to learn that. How to grow, how to mature, what stances and to speak in and what not to speak on. Uh, like I said, at my age, it's very easy for me to embrace the role of being a poster boy and being arrogant and not listening to anybody and enjoying that little... So you admit that you're arrogant and, and, and... It's easy for me to be so. It's easy for me to be so and act like that. I am the kind of kid who would go to a university and would often start his speeches with the fact that who here is just to take selfies with me, please raise your hand. And let them know 
that don't bother wasting your time. Wait a second. So you're not going to take a selfie with me and fussy no, no, I am. podcast? No, no, no. Yes, I see, I am. Because, of course. See, I am. But see, because we're fanboys. I, 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 I know I am. See, <laughs> see, I, I believe in hard talk. I believe that if I'm someplace, if I'm at giving my time, I need to be honest to that podium, just like I'm here at a podcast. doesn't matter how big or small the audience of this podcast is. But if I'm on is the mic... Way? Is that your way? Money. Exactly. No, no, no. It means that you have to raise your hand. You came from Karachi. And you are very tough. You are very tough. Mashallah, because you do this show in English and it's a podcast and people are not really... It's an ट And similarly, when I go to a university which may be funded or backed by the military, I will call out the military on that ground. Or if I go to a university which has the name of a political leader in its name, I will speak about that party as well because I am there to do honesty with the podium and the time the students are giving me. I'm not here to get more likes and comments. And uh, like I said, uh, I, I don't sponsor any of my posts on Facebook. Hmm. I let it grow organically. If it's worth listening to, people will share it. If it's not, I'm not going to impose my thoughts down your throat by putting it on your timeline and newsfeed. Now, I, I have a question. It's interesting you're saying this because I think one of the broader things that we'd also like to know is... I thought that was, you know, given what he just said, I thought that was appropriate. That, that was and, and, like, and given, he dropped the mic. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I thought that, that, that yeah. you know, given the new technology yeah. that's yeah. available to us, I thought that We was... We can do this sort of stuff. <laughs> but, but the question is... That, uh, I, I think one of the questions is also is that, you know, what is civil society in a way? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a hard question to yeah. ask. You know, uh, and, I, it was warranted to have that music. And, yeah. I, and I think also that The question is also is that you've got all these groups yeah. and they seem to, they've got impact, but you know, like as a larger collective, I think, I think also what Musharraf is asking you is that like, have you made inroads in making a larger collective of all these existing groups, existing audiences? And if the question is like, what is a bird's eye view of civil society? What is it? Uh, My definition of civil society is every citizen in Pakistan who believes in any kind of activism or civil action. Um, and like I said, you know, if there's a protest tomorrow by the students of Jame Hauza and they come out and they said in a legal way, in a proper manner, they organize, they go take permission from the police headquarters and, they, and if they're not a banned organization and they're not yet, and they hold a protest and saying that, you know, we want more Islamic principles to be enshrined in the constitutions, I would call it a civil society protest. I won't shy away from it. What right do I have not to qualify you as a citizen anymore just because I don't agree with your view? So civil society is this loose term which I think the media has come up with because if, uh, if an event is not being done by a political party or by a registered NGO, if it's not a seminar of a non-government organization, then it's a citizen action forum and you use this term civil society. And the flip side of it is, for example, when these days when people, uh, the old name, established name of civil society, when they come to your mind, when people comment about it, is, is Mari Sinmat, Tarvez Hoodboy, Asma Jangir, Raza Rumi, Bina Server, so on and so forth. I'm the new kid on the block. 
and I'm often plugged into the same group. I've never met Asma Jahangir. I've only met uh, Parvez Udbhai twice. I've, Wait, and, and, so, so this so, is the question. Why yeah. haven't you met Asma Jahangir? Uh, this is the question. Uh, why haven't I met? I never had the opportunity to. I have once asked her a question at a lit fest, and I wasn't impressed with the answer. I'll be honest about it. Uh, and uh, can I say something? Yeah. Our so mm -hmm. I, I have there's plenty of things on which especially method more than the actual mes message yeah. right Le like form rather than the function where maybe uh, I haven't agreed necessarily with what with the way that she said stuff or the way that she's done stuff but I have to say I don't think you and I are sitting here having this conversation if there's no Asma Jangir in Pakistan I just want to add one thing about Asma is that. This is one of my like weak spots. I also don't know her, but each time she's done something, like I look at her, where I don't agree with something, but I see that her principle has been consistent throughout. See, so for example, uh, like on Altaf Hussain thing, like she's out right now, this defending something which is fairly popular, and she's going against the grain, saying no, this guy deserves the right to speech. I don't agree with exceptionalism. Sorry, we're just going yeah, into a segue see, of see, I have got nothing against see, but uh, the point I'm trying to make is I have got nothing against Asma Jangir or the way she conducts herself. And I believe that she has been for the longest time and still is in many ways the flag bearer for a feminist movement in Pakistan, standing up for bar council elections, leading the, the, the Women's Front for the Lawyers movement, again, going against the green in many ways. But that does not mean that I and Asma think alike on every single policy issue. No, it shouldn't mean that at it all. It shouldn't mean that. So when I say is, when people say civil society, and they would plug in my name with other people, a lot of confusion also happens. And this is, I'm only trying to explain to you what civil society is. It does not mean that every person who you think is from the liberal background thinks the exact same way. It's Agreed. a very, yeah. it's a very loose consortium kind of a way, a loose collective. Is in, in the sorts. Tablighi, is the Tablighi Jamaat a civil society organization? Definitely is. It most definitely is. But then again, see, this is the popular, the colloquial way in which the term civil where, society where is used. Where can civil? Let's yeah. let's get away from definitions. Let's make yeah. it fun, yeah. so for I, a yeah. if you don't mind. Because yeah. uh, mm -hmm. I've been getting a lot of feedback on interrupting people, yeah. and I hope can, people continue to hate the fact that I interrupt people. It's perfectly fine. And I will continue to interrupt people at least. Yeah. Like keep it short, Arnab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not fair that you also get to control the music, so I can't play anything on top of you while you're speaking. I think, so it's interesting. One of the ways in which we might want to revisit how we look at civil society is that I agree with you that the Tablighi Jamaat is, in fact, by definition, a civil society organization. The question is, are there issues on which you and I and the Tablighi Jamaat can get together? Is there something on which we can agree on that as for that point, we're allied, we're aligned, we, mm. we agree with each other? Most definitely. Okay, so my, my, I used to think that over the last, in particular over the last year, having seen and, and examined and re-examined my own position, but also the evidence from, from the field. And, and what we're learning about Sabine's murder, what we've learned about Safura Gort, what we've learned about uh, what happened in California. There's a whole range of pieces of evidence that suggest that uh, this enlightened, uh, I have found God dot, dot, dot journey is an important journey. I have family members, I would say in many ways, I myself have taken at least part of that journey uh, from a religious standpoint. But that 
the exclusivism that something like the tablir introduces mm. is kind of a gateway drug to yes. something much more much more violent much more uh, much more exclusive much more exclusive I, I also just want to add one thing to this I understand what you're saying because one of the most influential articles for me that I once read was something by Aisha Siddiqua actually, which was called the pre-radical mindset, which is a certain set of opinions, a certain set of attitudes. And then in some ways, even Ramdi does this, he's got this really small clip, which is amazing, which says, these are the precursors for extremism. Right. And I understand what you're saying is that exclusionism, but, but I still think also but there are ways that practically that you know there are uh, potentials for actually Aisha is a really interesting voice on this right because Aisha yeah. is one Aisha is exactly one of the writers who's been very consistent on this yes. and, and has been right actually all throughout no I uh, agree like on this it's six amazing. years ago six yeah. years ago it was harder to say that because you know the the apparent evidence was like well what is she why is she so harsh on this right yeah. actually she was right all along there is such a thing as a, I, I also, call it a gateway drug. Also write about my activism because she's written on that as well. I, I don't, I, we I don't, don't have to agree with everything. <laughs> and that's, Jibran, uh, the thing yeah. is, I, I don't know what she said about your activism. I yeah. can only guess. She has, a, she has a lot of critical views about a lot of people. I, this is, a, I mean, I think it's a fascinating discussion because it's large, uh, there's a larger question here, right? And we've been talking about yeah, it through, through the course of the last week. You know, we had Ambassador Hussain Akani on. Uh, we have these loud, visible voices that basically have st they've stood up and they've said, you know what? No. Just basically they've said, nay. Matlab, aap bhot bade ho? Aur aap sabko convince kar chuke ho? Like you've convinced everybody of this thing. And I'm sorry, I just no. Right? In, a, in many ways, you know, you said there is a distinction between Asma Jangir and Parvez Hoodboy, for example, and Gibran Nasser. Right? First of all, I mean, Jibran Nasser has a long way to go. I, and I, he, I wouldn't I put you... I, I, I mean, he, with, with I, due I respect. Said, I, I said I, myself, I'm the new kid on the block. I haven't... See, I have benefited I'm from... I'm saying this, you're not even on the block yet. Yes, yeah, see, I'm just saying I have just benefited from this catalyst called social media. See, uh, these people have made their names by running year-long movements, going to prison, God knows, going through so many troubles which were never reported, never highlighted. Today, if even somebody pushes or shoves, shoves me, I can just tweet about it and the world gets to know and they can take action on it. So I, in no way, they would dare compare myself. But I know I'm just, you wouldn't. I'm just talking about how cloakly the media is putting it. Sure. I am introduced as this new kid sure. on the block. I myself don't even think that I belong in that uh, in that club of people who really set or made the ground for us. No, but Gibran, there's to, one to way in which that, you belong yeah. in that club. And that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make. <laughs> Just like a lot of these other people, some of whom with I agree with on a lot of things, some of whom with I disagree with on most things. Some of whom I like, some of whom are not particularly likable, right? But there's one thing about them that absolutely, without question, one has to embrace and accept. And that's what puts you in that group, mm. solidly. And that is that you just got, got up one day and you saw this big thing in front of you and you said, you know what? Nay. Nay. Bus, no, right? That ability within society to produce individuals who have the courage and the conviction to stand up and say no 
is actually one of the rarest and most beautiful things about that we retain and that I think is a great, great gift. And I don't have to like everything about you. I don't have to like your face. I don't have to like even the things that you stand for entirely. But I have to, I have to love that you're out there standing up and saying no, because tomorrow there might be someone or something that I would need to stand up for me. And I pray to Allah that there always be people like Aisha Siddiqua and Gibran Nasir and Tahir Abdullah and even Hussein Akkani, because the ability to reject the mainstream is actually the only source of renewal in a, in a so discourse. I, I, that's what I want to add, is that, you know, that if somebody comes up to you and, you know, puts you in jail for a couple of days, these things, I think these are things that people can actually go through. What I do admire about Gibran and then Asma and Marvi and all these people is that very thing is that when you go out to support the nation you love, and you get brickbats for that, where you get people questioning your religion, for questioning why you're trying to you know, get up and save the little guy, and anything that makes it easier that you say, wait, I'm out here for all these people, and this crowd is telling me that I'm not a good person, that I'm not somebody who deserves to be a citizen of this state, because I've somehow sold out or I don't subscribe to what the majoritarian view is. I think that's what makes these people incredibly brave, and I agree with you absolutely. To be able to take that is a very special kind of integrity. Here's where, here's where I would pin... If I, if I may add to it, see, it's, it's a little more than that. It's not just that these people have had uh, the courage to say no. It's also, also the fact that these people refuse to leave the battlefield. Uh, Parvez Hoodboy talks about one having complete freedom in whatever religion they want to practice and however they want to practice it. He still continued to teach at Kaidiyazm, then Lums, now Foreman College. He, these are universities which do have kids who are leaning on the radical side. And there's always a threat of one of these kids attacking Parvez Hoodboy, but he never leaves the ground. He still goes to those classrooms, walks the same pathways. Asma Jangi speaks openly against the blasphemy laws still goes and practices law in those same courts. There is a huge body within the lawyers which is showering petals on Mumtaz Qadri and loving him, is daring to contest elections and be a public voice and stand in that crowd knowing that anybody could attack at any time. Aisha Siddiqua wrote about the military and its economy and the corruption within when nobody was day seeing anything about the military. Yeah, and yes, absolutely. she may be living in London, but she still visits regularly and roams around publicly. So the fact that these people, and like you said, I agree with the point that I don't have to agree with everything they say, but the precedent they have said in their ways of standing up to the status quo or the mainstream or, whatever, or the wave against the flow and also not leaving the battlefield and saying, you know what, fine, they have taken away Sabine, they have taken away Sultan Saman Tasif, they have taken away uh, young kids like uh, Etazaz as well and other people who stood against tyranny, be it one single act of courage or be it a lifelong movement. But we will continue to stay here and not leave the battleground and not be you know, scared uh, to, to go back into our caves. So that's why these people continue to be inspiration. And, and my biggest fight with myself is, is not to say no, is after having said no to see how far and how long can I stay in the battlefield and keep on doing that because that is the only way you can encourage other people by living the common... But Parais doesn't carry an entourage of guards with him. 
like I said, I've never met uh, Asma in person, so I do not know, and I guess she is not of that um, mindset as well. So I see Pavis Udbhai roaming around like a normal man, with no security at all. So similarly, when people ask me, Yuan, why don't you get any security? My same reason is because I want people, just like I can identify with Pervez Hood Boy, I want the younger students of universities to identify with me, that you do not need an armored vehicle or guards around you to be able to speak the truth. You just need sanity, you just need to listen to your inner voice, and given the fact that you're a student and you are privileged enough to go to a university in a country like Pakistan, where stats are really deplorable when it comes to literacy and education, that's the burden, that's the weight of education, that good sense of what right and wrong is. And if you're able to say that, all you're doing is, you're just paying back their debt, which society gave you by giving you that good education. So these people, of Achha, course, I, uh, inspire me in many ways. I just want to add two things. I think one of the key things is, one of the ways I best understood this particular discussion oh. before was, uh, Nadim Paracha, uh, he once explained something to me which I, thought was incredibly insightful. He says, yeah, liberal ka kuch nahi progress hona Pakistan mein. And I was like, why? And he says, uh, secular sectarianism. Chote chote baato mein, we're gonna eat into each other until, you know, we don't get into a, a larger thing. So it was just an interesting way of putting things. But I, so one of the other reasons, like I hate your face, is... <laughs> 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 this is a hell of an interview, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> So, <laughs> so anyhow, so one of the other reasons I hate your face is like when I was 21, 23, I think I imagined myself that maybe something will by the time I'm 25, 26, the way that he's done it. And then I realized what compromised me, right? Getting jobs, getting, um, you know, an education. These are also things that, you know, they're useful to, for doing other things. But I'm just wondering, is on a practical level, for people who want to do something like you have, and you're saying you're in it for the long run. How does one support oneself? How does one make this a practically viable decision? I know there's a huge amount of sacrifice. This is not like a nine to five. This is not a multinational job. But even then, you still have to look at some degree of, uh, you know, how do I have a roof over my head? How do I afford to travel from Karachi to Lahore or Islamabad mm -hmm. when need be and things like that? Also, so, you're gonna have to pay for the Valima. When eventually this when eventually, pretty face yes, is yes, uh, getting, getting tying the knot. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, first of all, the fact that I'm not married and I don't have kids, I don't have that responsibility on me. But uh, to answer it in simple terms, life has drastically changed for me in the past one year. Now, there are different kinds of activism, and I'm not trying to draw a comparison here. But for example, there's a kind of work which Alamgir is doing. He's creating awareness, he's taking on the Pakistan People's Party, but he is not making the common man his enemy because he's talking about an issue which affects everyone and that's sanitation and health mm -hmm. and waste management. But when you're speaking on something which people are very sensitive about, like religion, you may be making your own stock home staff or domestic staff your enemy because they may not agree with your view and they may consider you blasphemous or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they kind of, um, uh, and like I said, every other cleric would question my identity, my sect, my religion. Mm -hmm. So because of that, uh, the day the Taliban, Ehsan uh, al made that call, Hmm. and uh, it was made public. But right before it was made public, I had asked a dear friend of mine in Karachi to take my mother out of the house because she may panic when she's gonna hear about it and I want someone to calm her down. So in the afternoon, my friend took, minutes later, the news broke. In the evening, my mom returned. We were living on rent. The landlord had changed the locks. My mother was left out of the house. Wow. It was 22nd of December. 
I have moved back with my family in the same house under the same roof on 9th of December 2015. Almost a year I had to live at different friends' houses or the little office space which I shared because I run a medical trust as well. With the mm. same office I had put up a mattress and I was living there for three months after my mother had had it of living with relatives and finally me and mother have moved in together and then again I've flown on to Islamabad and I'm pursuing this case and my mother is again losing my mind. I was working uh, in the uh, at a nice big law firm. I'm not going to, for security reasons, to take its name, but earning a good, uh, being on a steady path, four years practice at law. The last job was at Dawn News, being an anchor, and I could have done that. But since that threat, for any multinational of any firm like that, I am a walking death threat. I'm a walking target. So how do I support myself or support my activism? I'll be very honest about it. Um, there are friends who are of Pakistani um, descent whether living abroad or Pakistanis living here, who support on cause-based work. I have been doing charity and charitable works for national disasters and stuff like that for the past five years. And now I do, do so in a more organized manner through a trust. And now, um, uh, never forget Pakistan, uh, the portal we've set up, finally got registered on the 23rd of Feb 2016, three days ago. And I hope the interior minister does not provoke <laughs> the registration. We're going to be doing it in that systematic way. But I have not been drawing a, a, what one would call a decent salary. I've literally been owing, taking out expenses uh, for my, what you call, uh, eating. People want to know how do I make travels. Been to America thrice, all three times. The American Association of Pakistani Physicians called me. My entire university tour was funded by the people who wanted me to come and speak at the universities. I did not have to pay a dollar. Can I, can I, can I interrupt? Yeah. I think you're going into a lot no, of no, detail no, that no, isn't necessary because yeah, I yeah, think yeah, the yeah, question yeah, was different. No, this is, this is, the reason for that is because people have kept on asking me this question that, sir, if you're not having a job, then how are you able to make these visits? Who is funding all of these activities? No, but can I say and, that and, those and, questions are not coming and, from innocent... And, those, yeah, that, yeah. Those, at times they are, at times they are. And the reason I'm trying to say is, once you are going to be putting yourself out there. To support activism, you're going to be finding good people just like I found good people. People who are willing to pay. If I'm going to be making copies of an evidence file for 342 parliament members on the Abdulaziz case and the photocopy bill is going to be 52,000, I'm not paying it. There are Pakistanis willing to donate to that. If I'm hiring a criminal professional lawyer to pursue this case in the courts, there are Pakistanis coming forward to pay for it. Similarly, if I have to be in court as a witness, as a complainant flying from Karachi to Islamabad, there are people willing to forward. But yes, tomorrow when I'm going to settle down, my father is still a working man. My mother, because of her in, uh, investment with her brother, earns an amount. So my house But tomorrow if I'm going to get married and have my own kids, I need to think what to do in terms of having a stable income. I haven't thought of that. I've got age on my side now, and that's what's working for me. But yes, had I been married before the whole Lalmita thing started, I may not have been able to continue. I'll admit to that. So I don't say when people who have responsibilities like marriage and children, I don't say they're afraid. It's just that, dude, charity begins at home. You need first to take care of people. So the fact that my father is not retired and my mother has some investments, I can get by. But if a young person wants to step out tomorrow thinking, oh, what will happen? Will I get any support? That's our question. Yes. yes. Pakistanis will come forward for every naysayer, for every 10 naysayers, there'll at least be one who'll not question your intention, not question your integrity, just ask you, what's the ask, Jibran? What do you want from us? How can I help? They'll be very open about the fact that I'm a businessman, I'm an entrepreneur, I have an office, I cannot be on the front with you, I cannot come to your protest rallies because I don't want somebody picking up my children from school, kidnapping them, or burning down my office. But I do earn enough 
to be able to donate to your campaign. Can I help you that way? And there'll be some people who says, you know what, I'm a good writer. I can perhaps blog about it. There'll be some people who say, I'm a digital artist. I can make posters for you or edit videos for you. So yes, you will find people donating their time, skill and resources, but you need to put yourself out in the field for people to know that you're willing to walk the talk. My, my problem with Gibran is uh, there's something magically compelling about this young man. I agree. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, the Dusra fact that you Urdu would say... I think you've already made the point that you think he's good looking. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think that, you know, no, you keep Urdu restating. Urdu no, but you keep putting in khubsurat like it's a, you know, it's a, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Pisses me off. <laughs> Listen, the, the, the other thing, of course, is this, this thing, which is, I think, one of the things that's drawn us together uh, Gibran is this I mean essentially what you're saying is Gibran Nasser stands on the shoulders of these giants that don't have any names and you know who, who, who don't have the profile that Gibran Nasser has but on whose shoulders and on whose backs in, in many ways uh, you've been able to do what you've been able to do in the last year or so and I wouldn't be able to do without them I perhaps would have made headlines on the first day I stood outside the Red Mosque but to turn something into a movement Akela insan majnu divana hota for a movement the one thing, if, if one person is calling me a leader, they need to remember that a leader is only a leader if he has followers and or supporters or a group around him. And this movement is built on unsung heroes. There's so many people supporting me in so many ways who, yes, who don't put their name forward, but without them, I would not be able to do, achieve anything. What, what Just one it? question is like, why do you think, I mean, I think as a campaign, you've done so much, you've highlighted this, you've kept it up. You've got your website, you've got an evidence base, you've written to every parliamentarian. So why is this guy immune? Why is he such an intractable issue for the government, for the army, for everyone else? I mean, we know that if you want to take, the, they've taken movements against uh, a number of people, but why is Abdul Aziz safely ensconced there? Why is it that he can say something utterly outrageous that there's a, you know, Shia officer here who's doing that, and actually also exposing the intelligence agencies who are speaking to him in a very coddling fashion. So what explains his particular immunity? It cannot be possible that I have more evidence on Abdul Aziz than the inter-services intelligence or the military intelligence or the intelligence bureau of Pakistan. Cannot or, possibly CID, be. or CID or, or special CID. Branch, yeah or CTD, cannot possibly be. Mm. Or I have access to more information than the Ministry of Interior does, or the newly made body NACTA does, or Rizwan Akhtar or Rahil Sharif does. They have come out and thrown away and toppled governments. They have uh, hung a man for a murder case who was formerly the Prime Minister of Pakistan and the jury is still out whether he committed the murder or not. But when you want to put forward evidence and take action, you have showed no restraint. One is forced to think that perhaps one is an asset, that is Abdul Aziz, and he is serving some purpose. To whose benefit, I do not know, and that's not my concern. Uh, I, like I said, I, I may have drawn the analogy of calling the military chief a lion, but the lion is no good to me if he is uh, grooming hyenas for his purposes. Yeah. Hyenas also <laughs> Lovely line, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, which hyenas would also would never attack, dare attack the lions, but he's going after all the deers in the field. 
and disturbing that ecosystem uh, as is being disturbed here. Uh, like I said, my question on the democracy would remain from Chaudhary Nisar. I, as a citizen, can only put forward evidence and I can only go in court. And in a criminal case, people need to understand as a complainant and even only in the cases in which I'm a complainant, not in the other cases pending against Abdul Aziz, I have a right to address the court as a complementary party. But the prosecution is led by the state of Pakistan. If tomorrow I have all the evidence in the world which warrant an arrest of Abdul Aziz, but the police comes and submits to the court, says, we've done our investigation, we don't require his custody. The court will grant him his bail. The court will say, you're free to go mm -hmm. and, you know, let the matter proceed in trial. If the and why would the prosecution do that? Because the government is not backing in. Why the government is not backing in? Because they're not perhaps getting the support they require from the institutions. Don't give me this excuse that we don't want uh, another Red Mosque scenario where polarization occurs. People really go out of their way to commend Musharraf for having taken that action and forget the fact that Musharraf took over in 1999 and the ammunitions and the weaponry and the militants were allowed to gather there till 2007. And for eight years, Musharraf was busy trying to talk about moderate Islam, which was built upon getting the winning vote by Tariq Azam, the former leader of Sipa Sahaba, to elect meet the Fula Jamali. Well, the, the apologists would, would throw, I mean, the two names that the apologists would throw for that era, they would throw Tariq Azim's name out that, oh, well, he didn't, he didn't survive that era. Yeah. And of course, uh, now, uh, you know, uh, all of us would actually say, well, look at what happened to Malik Ishaq. Here's the, yeah. here's the larger problem, Gibran. Uh, yeah. I don't think that there's necessarily a deliberate attempt to be apologetic about what's happening. And I also think that we have short memories. The fact is that the, at least Northern Punjab and Rawalpindi, that the PMLQ, one of the reasons it got demolished in this part of the country in the 2013 election, according to some people, is the Lal Masjid operation that the Lal Masjid operation fundamentally altered the balance of power in terms of politics. In, 20, uh, in 2008. Lal Masjid operation happened when it happened. Yeah. But it's, but it's, uh, sorry, no, not the 2013. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was wondering. The 2008 uh, uh, general election. I think there is definitely a problem between those folks that are quite clearly uh, sane and who know that we can't continue with this kind of a thing in our... We can't have a mosque that does this kind of a thing in the, anywhere in Pakistan. Forget about in the heart of the capital, yeah, right? Yeah. At the same time, we have masses of public opinion. One assumes, uh, and this is where you know, public polling is, is questionable and, and hard, to, hard to read, for me at least. What is your reading, Gibran? Is there... How much support is there for the worldview that uh, Abdulaziz represents? Can I add a supplementary question to this quickly? Uh, just it'll also uh, be uh, related to this, which is also what I wondered about Abdulaziz also is that he put up all these people, he put up so much bravado, so much he spoke so much, and then he escaped. Uh, you know, he put on a burqa, and I would imagine that in a country where people respect bravery, whether on one side or the other, 
whether in some ways that his brother is seen as lead somebody who walked, you know, the talk that he was doing. I just don't understand why people don't see him as a coward, why they don't see him as someone who did not truly believe, because when it came to it, his life was more important. So that's just a secondary question to this. Is uh, Musharraf's question is how popular is he truly, and mine is why didn't he become not, less not, popular? Not how popular he is, yeah. but how widely accepted that worldview is. Sure. In Pakistan, I believe uh, those people who support Abdul Aziz are more organized, and because they're more organized, they look a big threat. If you have a referendum in Pakistan, I'm sure there'll at least be a few thousand people supporting the cause that Abdul Aziz should be arrested. But tomorrow, if he's arrested, the 13 seminaries within Islamabad and Awalpindi, which are associated with Lal Masjid, who have a strength of 3,800 students, would come out on the street, and the army and the police would not know what to do with them, because it's very easy. You know exactly where to go and get that crowd. You go to that seminary, you park a bus, you fill it up, and you bring it to the protest point. With civil society, you're asking people, you know, when you're done with your offices and your schools and your studies, try and gather here if you can, or we can't provide transportation and things like that. And these people are being trained and indoctrinated in this process of having regular protests and sessions and workshops and whatnot. Also, wait, wait, people wait, wait, also... Let me, let me interrupt. Yeah, yeah. One of the elements of civil society is missing there. Yes. The one element of civil society that's consistently able to bust people in more than either of these groups is your mainstream centrist political parties. The question then becomes, mm. why is this a battle between fringe rights activists like yourself and to an extent, people like uh, us and on the and fringe right wing radicals. I think the question. That's an excellent I, I, question. I think, the, I think the question you're trying to ask is why is Asad Umar being the MNA from the constituency where Jamia Hafza is so quiet on the issue and has never uttered a word in parliament? Sure. If tomorrow an action takes place, if tomorrow an operation takes place, if tomorrow the disease is arrested, if tomorrow any kind of violence happens or blood is shed, it will be the constituency of Mr. Asad Umar. Lal Masjid is Tariq Fazlul Chaudhary, the state minister. Both of these two MNAs have never uttered a word. They may have tweeted about it and said, oh, we've done a word. But they've never really posed a serious question on the security situation, given the fact it is their own constituency. Forget about which party they belong to. So what's the answer? Why? They have the answer to that. I've posed the question to them time and again, and they've also gotten very angry with me. But again, the point I'm trying to say is... What was their see, anger about? The fact that, oh, you, you, why are you trying to take us under pressure? And some people end up also saying that maybe what all I'm trying to do is a publicity stunt, not knowing that there are better and easier ways uh, to get popular in Pakistan. Just for example, <laughs> I can make a video where somebody's asking me to take off the shirt and I just don't take off the shirt and I get popular that way. Yeah. Or tell people how I have a headache. You know, my sir, I get popular with that I think, as well. I think yeah. Fassi's you know? compliments have gone yeah. to your head. Yeah. I guarantee you. <laughs> you, you <laughs> I, was, I was referring to another video which got viral in Pakistan, if you didn't get the reference. I, I don't Neither know Neither did reference. I. Yeah. Yeah. You know, take off the shirt, Naveed. Oh, this is like <laughs> next <laughs> level. Like yeah. we just went what? from like zero to like 500. <laughs> it's a video which came out. We're done with that. Like I said, like I said, it's someone's personal video. I have no right to comment on it. Yeah, let's just move on. My only point is if one has to get come in the news, various ways of doing that in Pakistan. But uh, coming back to the issue, it's not just about that. It's also the fact that uh, 
when Abdul Aziz is cornered or targeted, every other member of the clergy who knows has done similar or acts which fall in that category would also stand up and speak for Abdul Aziz because they don't want Abdul Aziz to be the precedent of citizens taking action against people who terrify people in the name of religion and having the courts strong enough to be executing orders against them and arresting them. And for me, Abdul Aziz is not it. He is just the start of it. It's a litmus test. It's a precedent. I don't even know how long I have to live, but if we are able to set a precedent that, yes, through legal action, through rule of law, through not trying to destroy public property, should not just trying to have uh, useless, um, uh, stainless protests all over the place, and by actually pursuing legal action in courts and properly putting forward evidence, you can actually have trials and executions and get people arrested. Maybe citizens in other cities, especially parts like Balochistan, where they're really terrified by Lashkar Jhangvi, or some parts in southern Punjab, where Sipa Sahaba is again a terror force, or parts in KP, or, uh, KP where people are terrified of Taliban and other groups, they would be able to raise and say, you know what, there's a cleric in my thing as well. And again, the war is not against people of religion. The war is against people who use religion to terrorize others, to prove their right, and make that exclusive group you were talking about earlier, that ours is the only right way, and who does not fall in this group? Hmm. I mean. The last sharing I had in which Abdul Aziz came to court and his lawyer, the senior lawyer, Tariq Asad, senior Supreme Court lawyer, came to court, they came out and they did a press conference and again their only argument is that this complainant is an enemy of Islam. This complainant is against Islam. To this date, I have never questioned the faith or sincerity of Abdul Aziz as a Muslim. I have only said he's a rogue cleric. I'm, it's not, I'm not compelled, no, I, I have no compulsion to accept him as a cleric, as a mufti, as an alim. But I'm not going to go and question his faith. I'm not going to go question his intent, whether he's a God-fearing man or not. That's not for me to do. But that's what that side keeps on doing. No, but uh, what, is, what is the relevance of whether he is or isn't a God-fearing man? See, see, that's the thing. Because this, by doing this, because people are so much swayed by religion here, that's the argument they use. I'm trying, again, the point I'm trying to build here is, all that clergy members who do not want to be picked up, and you know they are in the number of in thousands, not even a few. And the one moderate one we have, the most moderate one we have out of the Tablighi Jamaat is Tariq Jamil. And to his credit, Tariq Jamil has never ever condemned a single terror outfit in Pakistan by its name. And perhaps he wants to do that because he wants to be that bridge between the radical and the non-radical, and he does not want to, uh, and he wants to bring the radical on his side as well, because he also talks about a lot of Shia Sunni, Shia Sunni unity as well. So maybe that's his strategy. But that's the thing. The moderate ones who have a lot of influence would not condemn terrorisms. The ones who do, like Gandhi, are exiled out of the country, and the remaining ones are doing the job as it is. Which, which begs the question that, that I kind of started with is that, Public opinion uh, is a strange term for it, but there's a big, uh, there's a big pool. Let's call it a cesspool yeah. um, within the public discourse, in which these discussions and these questions are not welcome. I mean, what can I say to you? I mean, when you say now this Lal Masjid problem, I actually feel like asking the question, why is Hamid Mir still doing primetime television? Why is Shahid Masood still doing primetime television? Did they not benefit this crowd, this lot, and perpetuate this notion that yes, chemical weapons were used and mass graves were formed when the inquiry report said that nothing like this happened? Wasn't this the same media which pandered to the right-wing crowd 
by hyping well, this whole let's story. Be, up. I mean, uh, uh, Hamid, they, they're not just Hamid alone is a in different. This. Is it? They, I think putting Hamid and Shahid Masood in the same category is I'm problematic. Not on this issue, on, uh, no, only but not on to this defend issue. or only attack on, anybody. Only on this issue. Only on this issue. Have they ever said or been part of the commission or, or said that? I mean, because they know that they're opinion builders and opinion makers. And when people say people like them also saying that yes, mass graves are being formed, chemical weapons are being used, and women and children are being slaughtered mindlessly, people are swayed by that. And that's where the common man. The, who's in the precursor stage of radicalization, things that, yes, this general or dictator or president or the government is the enemy and this cleric is the right person because otherwise, why do so much, uh, why commit so much atrocities? And Look, that's also brings about the question that even the fact that he wore a burqa and came out still does not take away from him because he still says that whatever I did, even if I ran out in a burqa, I'm the best you've got against the man who committed that many atrocities. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm so, the best you've got to stood up to him. Uh, let's mm. let's switch gear a little bit. Over the last couple of weeks, Mufti Naeem from Jamia Banuria has uh, has made, managed has managed to provoke people that have, uh, today Abbas Nasser has a fantastic column out in Dawn. I don't yeah. know if you read it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, he's no. he's written about this on uh, Valentine's Day or maybe it was the Valentine's Day Eve. Uh, he said... It went from comedy to tragedy really fast. Well, yeah. but it's, uh, for me, it was a tragedy all the way through, but, yeah. but it was funny. I mean, sometimes tragedies can be funny too. Yeah. I mean, we have to be able to laugh at ourselves. Mufti Naeem attacks Marbi Sarmad, um saying that... Uh, well, she uh, tells him, Happy Valentine's Day, Mufti And Saab. I'm going to send you a Valentine's Day balloon. Ghubara, yes. Yeah. And then he responds... I will send you a balloon to you. I will send you a balloon to you. I will send you a balloon to you. I mean, Jibran, that's... You know, Lanat is a balloon. This is a balloon, right? Yeah. And then... It was for Shaitan, for Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab. I mean, let's not even go there, right? Let's fast forward a couple of weeks and this phenomenal woman, Sharmin Obed Chinoy, who you can have whatever problem you want with Sharmin. And, oh, and I, I have, I, no, I know people that have like every notion of problem, uh, Western narrative promotion, this, that, the other. You can have whatever problem. If you're going to go out and win Oscars for Pakistan, you're going to put a Pakistani flag into Oscar night. You are just the queen of this country. Like I just... There is no better Pakistani, in my view, than someone like Shamir Abedjuna, who not only is putting the Pakistani flag there, but is actually bringing attention to issues that wouldn't get the attention otherwise. The fact is that when the world starts talking about an issue is when Pakistan actually starts reacting to it. So actually, she's doing a great job. All she's asking for is that we enact some legislation to address honor killings. And so what does the mass media do? Instead of having... Salman Akram Raja on their show, instead of having Afia Zia, uh, Afia Sherbano on, on mm. their show, instead of having Faisal Nakvi on their show, instead of having Rafi Alam, I'm just taking the names mm. of some lawyers that we know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we've also incidentally yeah. interviewed just for a kick ass program. Yeah. Exactly. It just happens to <laughs> be the case. I happen to be a lawyer as well. I was coming to you. I was coming to you. Instead of that, what does the national news media go and do? They go out and get Mufti Naeem to comment on this. And what does he come up with? He That's starts where the media him. is wrong because the media wants a fight. I've been in the media. I've been an anchor. They wanted a fight. Do you know if I tell you that it was suggested to me in the boardroom of Dawn News, uh, let's have a segment of on... Uh, on uh, I'm not going to name them yeah, and shame. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, have a, Let's have a cat fight on actresses from Lollywood. 
Imagine me doing a show like that. I, I'd watch it though. So I you would watch, watch it, it yeah. too. Fasi would send me the YouTube video. Exactly. That evening. First of all, with all the people Which who, one of the chicks would be saying, Ibke Maar? With all the people who had a problem with the fact that saving faces, you know, saving face was not shown to Pakistan. It was made for the Western media to give Pakistan a bad name. Well, you know, Shamin Ubaid said, that when I do get an audience, when the, finally the Prime Minister does agree to give me an audience, I'm going to show him the movie and I'm going to urge him for legislation. And when the good legislation would come about, you'll have the clergy members calling me a fahisha. That's the harsh truth. It's not that Shamin isn't willing to go and have a Pakistani audience with the films. She would love for Pakistani audience to also go and see our harsh realities and make us come out of our bubbles. Because, you know, to go and find the stories is remarkable in itself. Now, the fact that media does this thing, that it specifically pins issue things on each other, and what say does Mufti Naim have on an issue like honor killing? Honor killing is not a religious issue. It's a cultural issue. If anything, you should have somebody who studied the social and the historical cultural concept because honor killing is something which also exists in India, which is majority Hindu. It's not an, it's, it's a Muslim-specific issue. But you get Muslim Mufti Naim in because you're talking about women's rights and somehow the abuse of women or something like that and add the ugly picture which Mufti Naim paints of Islam is there. And also, by the way, I apologize to all of your audience member for having thrice in the past one minute referred to Mr. Naim as a Mufti because I do not think that he is... Uh, 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 an able man to lead us in religious matters. Because if, he was, me, yeah. if he was, if he was, no, but uh, here, okay, this goes if, back if, to the question. Yeah, if Jibran. he was, uh, he 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 would not be indulging in such arguments. No, but here's uh, the yeah. challenge to you, know, yeah. Lejan. Mm. The, the challenge is that you and I don't think so. That much is obvious, and I don't think we need to restate it. But there are thousands, nay, hundreds of thousands of people that have essentially pledged allegiance. Unka mm. But so so the. Your battle isn't just a legal one. I think this is the... Well, we I, had this discussion I, I, before, right? Yeah. It so is not it's, just it's, a legal it's battle. It's like this. It's, it's like this. Uh, you have a complaint with the fact that why do Jews living in Israel tweet in celebration when you bomb the shit out of Gaza? Because that's the only thing they know. That's the only thing they learned. They were kept in a box, kept in a bubble, and they do not know how to dissent. History books... Normal books, magazines, newspaper, television, radio, indoctrinating the same thing. Palestine is the enemy regardless how bad or how weak they appear to you. They are the terrorists. Be afraid of them. Similarly, when the state, since the 1950s when Fakul Madaris came into being, the government did not show any interest in the madrasa throughout the 50s, throughout the 60s, throughout the 70s. You showed interest in the, in the madrasas in the 80s when America asked you to and Zia intervened and then you showed again interest in the madrasa under Musharraf and again America asked to. So there's a legitimate grievance with the madrasa as well that you only come to us either trying to use or abuse us or trying to reform us when the foreign forces ask you to. You've never tried to make us part and now they refuse to be a part of your national education system or be governed and accounted by it. And all those students who are being provided for, be it there, and of some stats, you may correct me on this, that only, technically only 3% or 4% of the student population in, America, in Pakistan is from the madrasa. Not a huge number, if I'm, if I'm not entirely wrong on that. But the difference is, once you become an alim or a mufti, you're automatically granted an audience of five to 100 to 1,000 people in a mosque where you go and become an imam. So you get, get the, 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 the spillover effect or the trickle-down effect is a lot much more. Gotcha. And these people, provided for the education, the living, the shelter and everything by these people, they're in their tough time. For them, they, they are the government. For them, they are the providers of everything. So it's natural for them to learn. So I don't have, a, I don't have any complaint against the followers of Mufti Naim. 
or Naim or the followers of Abdul Aziz, I don't have any campaign against them because the government was supposed to go and reach out to them and they didn't. I have a campaign against these people who act like leaders, who act like muftis, who know the other side of the spectrum, but deliberately indulge in intellectual dishonesty and present an ugly picture of Islam, knowing that there is a better side to it, just because they want to keep that orthodox view, that exclusive view that only we are right. I have no complaint against them because you know what? I never reached out to them. I never conversed with them. Just like I was complaining earlier that the senior cadres of the civil society never reached out to me and they're judging me. Why should I go and judge the followers of Mufti Naim when I never had the decency of going and sitting them in a conversation and trying to hear the point of the? I guess I guess that's kind of what I've been trying to drive at, you know. And and we're we're gonna have to wind down uh, quite soon. But the future of what you've tried to do, and you know how big is. I don't think we need huh, we don't yeah. need to go into but you know the future of what you've tried to do what your supporters and followers have tried to do over the last year is that well what is the future because ultimately that conversation between kind of us and them hmm. in in the society not the not the stage uh, not not the limelight conversation right not the conversation between a bunch of people outside Lal Masjid and the cleric at Lal Masjid, but the conversation between the people who see the cleric of Lal Masjid as a legitimate authority and the people who don't. Where is that conversation going to come from, especially in an era where the division between public and private, especially in education, is now so vast that they're all going to be studying at either madrasas or government schools, and we're all going to be studying at Beacon House and, and, and what so have you. I, yeah, so I just want to add one thing. is like oh, this question from Musharraf about the future. I also think one other thing is that, so when you look at somebody like Sharmeen, I, I find that people like Malala, Sharmeen, anybody who's feted by the outside world, um, for whatever reason, we're becoming immensely suspicious here. And I'm also wondering about yourself. So, uh, you know, when you went to the US to that university tour, I think it was great that they had you, that individuals took you there. The idea was that you be a great ambassador, and I'm great at it. I'm really pleased with that. But tomorrow, day after tomorrow, sometime down the line, you win a little medal from someplace in the US, XYZ, whatever. I won't. No, forget. Let's just say you do. Do you also foresee that, I mean, one of the great, I think, problems is that you're tapping into funds all over the world or here. You're tapping into pressure also from all these different groups. But the fact, once you get the foreign involved, I think it's indispensable, but at the same time, this is what makes people reject. So what's your view on that as well? 52 days, 19 cities in America did not meet a single senator or congressman. Oh, no, I'm not asking you. No, no, no. The point I'm trying to make is I won't win a medal. I won't be acknowledged by them because I refuse to go and meet them and clean my dirty laundry in front of them. Yes, I may go meet Amnesty International and the United Nations because those are forums which we recognize. But I don't, and again, some other activists have done so, and they may have reasons for doing so. Like I said, I was initially talking about self-censorship. That I know that I'm right now talking about a very sensitive issue, and, and even a visit to the United States or anywhere outside Pakistan is looking suspiciously. So all of my talks were also organized by Pakistanis, and I was very particular about that. Hurt. I mean, I would have loved the opportunity otherwise to go and talk on various big think tanks and meet a lot of these influential people abroad. But I know that my real battle is not getting acknowledged by them. And they'll acknowledge me or not acknowledge me, that's up to them. My real battle is being considered 
sincere person who has your interests at heart as a Pakistani, as a fellow citizen, by those people who are my naysayers. I don't want to be keep on preaching to the choir and getting that same lot liking my statuses and commenting and say, hey, Jadwan, really doing good work. I want to be reaching out to the people who say no. And that's why well, the thing I love most about my activism is when I get to go to the universities and the schools in Pakistan. And if one thinks that just because you went to Beacon or Grammar or, 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 or the Lyceum or the schools, you're not a radical, you know what, uh, Saad Aziz, the man caught for Sabine, is a lysimite, two years junior to me in my own A-level school and then went on to IBA and then we have him as what he is right now. I've gone and I've spoken at Lams and CBM and Zabis and almost 15, 16 universities and wherever I go, I bring up the issue of blasphemy, I bring up the issue of Shia genocide, I bring up the issue of MLD persecution and there will be students rising up and saying that it's all good, that Shia has asked for it, that MLDs deserve it, that Salman Taseer had to be killed because the government would have never registered an FIR against him. I had students standing up to me in these universities in an open hall. Why? Because I give them that space to have that conversation with me. I give them that honesty because the sad truth is the first person to ask me to defend Mumtaz Qadri 15 minutes after the news of Salman Tasi being killed came out was my own Saga Chacha. The first person to ever tell me that Shias are Kafis when he found out that I have a crush on a Shia girl was my own Saga Mamu. The first place where I heard how to ridicule the prophet of the Ahmadis was my own within my own family and how to do that in certain Punjabi old terms which are very popular uh, certain Mahabra bolte unke khilaf. Mere to battle apne ghar mein hai. So when I see of Pakistan, I see of them as an extension of my family. I don't come from a progressive liberal household. I come from a very conservative Can I family. Just quickly yeah. interrupt you to ask a question. Is then, if you uh, had these influences, what what made you choose your own way? Uh, uh, this is where uh, my faith in in, in God gets more uh, solidified because I've been blessed enough with the company of certain men and women who taught me otherwise. Um, I taught how to learn, I, I was taught how to respect women and see women as human beings by a very young teacher at my A-level school who used to mentor me just because she saw some spark in me two, two hours every day after school. I learned how to respect MLDs once they became my colleagues at a law firm, my first law firm where I was in, three people in senior capacity and junior capacity were working there and I interacted with them as, as humans and of course when I had a crush on a sheer girl, I could do anything but believe that something as beautiful as her could be a kafir, to be very honest. So I read <laughs> upon their beliefs. So my knowledge of them or my empathy for them did not come from my teaching. I mean, it's not that my parents ever taught me hate. Yeah. Thank God my mom and dad stayed away from this politics, but very close by in the structure, all these things were there. But friends, colleagues, people I've run into were kind enough to donate and dedicate their time into grooming me. And I've learned all of these things by human interaction and that's why I believe interaction is the key. We need to have these spaces that open dialogues could take place. And yes, whenever in any university talk or event or any other place, when a kid gets up and says, you know what, Salman Tasir had to be killed. And because it's my talk and I usually draw the liberal crowd and they'll all go boo boo, I shut them down. And I say, let them have a say because his only guilt right now is answering my question which I asked of him. I asked of him if he agrees with Mutaz Qadri's view or not. His only guilt, uh, he did answer the question. But let him hear it out. Let him hear his grievances. This is how I have met people. Imagine this. Two girls from Punjab University came to me. Best friends for five years, together. And one of them told me, in front of her other best friend, that I'm letting you know that I'm an Imadi. To the shock of the other friend. 
And she's like, how come I did not know? And she said, because I know that you support Gibran's work, so you would be able to accept me as well. <laughs> Imagine that, and they're buddies <laughs> with each other. You need to be able to create it, and it's, I don't know how the government will do it, I don't know how the military would do it, I don't know how Nisar or Nawaz would do it, or Imran or Asra Zatari would do it, but just have an atmosphere where you don't judge people for who they are. If you disagree with them, try and reason with them. If anybody says Pakistan should be an Islamic Republic, should remain as one, or if anybody should say no, it should be a secular republic, let them have this say, vote it out, it's a democracy, just stop killing people over each other and questioning their integrity, their sincerity and their faith for it. If you're not mature enough to be able to learn someone and tolerate them and let them live, we don't have a right to call ourselves liberal. For a liberal, it does not matter. Where, I mean, Sin Club, I don't aspire to get the membership, so I'm going to be open about it. I've been told that you got called into the disciplinary committee if your guests come in wearing a bias and burqas in Sindh Club. For God's sake, that's the elitist of the elite of Pakistan dying over there. They've been to Oxford and Cambridge and all sorts of school and they can't tolerate a woman coming in in a bias and a burqa. What kind of a, a liberal progressive view is that? Why is somebody's um, clothes matter to you so much? And even if they're expressing their views, just listen to them and you don't have to agree with them. So I have a view, for me, it's, it's about people just being themselves as long as nobody propagates instigate violence. Okay, I actually believe that these days the lines have been blurred so much that anyone who says, I don't believe anyone should be killed for what they think is actually on the far left these days. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's so easy to be confused as a liberal when yes. you're not in Pakistan. Oh, I agree, I agree. <laughs> so we're going to come to a close, but we just want to say this has been fascinating, Gibran. And we see you as you already are, but I think this country is going to benefit immensely from you in the future as well. I think that um, hopefully you'll find a different Pakistan uh, when you're a bit older and uh, you'll have contributed to that. And uh, lastly, I think also is that, you know, I find it interesting that, you know, his exposure to, say, another sect's theology, like Shia theology, is sort of like my uncle who was a Luddite his whole life, didn't know how to type anything, anything. And then I told him that, you know, you can get girls on Facebook and today he's poking everyone. And <laughs> <laughs> he's an expert, right? Within six months. So that's uh, good to know. Love, love always finds a way. I, so I consider Gibran Nasser uh, to, be, uh, to be one of the sort of, one of the great Pakistani leaders of, uh, of today. Yeah. Uh, I think that we've had evidence of that in this conversation. Um, I'm really grateful that you made the time, little brother, and I think that, uh, yeah, I just and pray. I just did that once. Uh, nee, and, uh, but it wasn't and, and, good. I, and I apologize for it. I should not have huh. done so, not, not becoming of me, and it was a pleasure being here. And again, uh, no disrespect to, meant to anybody, especially uh, uh, any of the women who I may have hinted upon in this conversation. And, specific, and also to all the listeners, do not support the man, support the cause. I may be controversial tomorrow, just focus on the cause. I'm just a spokesperson right now, that's all I am. I'm not supposed to be your leader who you're supposed to blind, uh, follow blindly. Agree with the content, you don't have to agree with the character of the person. And if, if I'm not being fair to it, then don't follow me, but lead the cause. That's sort of the PPP argument, by the way, to the left. Well, also, don't... <laughs> don't they always, That's exactly football. what the PPP tells yeah. everyone. In, uh, in football, they always say, don't play the man, play the ball. Uh, so, 
play the ball. Don't hate the player, hate the, the game. game. There you go. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's been fascinating. May Allah always protect you and guide you and bless you. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, thanks, as always, Fasiza. Yes, and thank you. And we're going to sort of wrap up the program. And as usual, uh, thank you for listening. Well, that was everybody. Thanks Fox for joining us. <laughs>